great. Thanks, Flick. So, uh, this isn't the start of 10 minutes yet. So, we're going to... <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to talk about why doesn't prayer work when the Bible promises it will? Why is it not telling us the truth? Um, and, uh, but this morning, we're going to look at... Um, I'm, I'm reading this to remind myself, because I realized I didn't have down there um, a copy of anything. So, why do the good die young? If God is really all-powerful, why is he impotent in the face of so much pain and tragedy? Okay, so we'll start 10 minutes now. Yeah, okay, two minutes past. Right, I believe this. I uh, spoke in a cathedral yesterday afternoon and I said this. If you read any Bible passage and underneath it, behind it, between the lines, you don't understand that it's really saying... God is love and he's on your side. You've probably misunderstood it, not understood it. And you need to go away and think again about that passage or that verse in the context of its book or in the context of the overall revelation of the Bible to come to a place where you can see it as that. For I believe that the overarching motif that the book, the library, which we call the Bible, is about is that God is on our side. He's the God of everyone. He's the God of diversity. He is a God of diversity. He includes every one of us. Therefore, death becomes an imposter. Therefore, tragedy is an imposter. Therefore, murder is wrong. Therefore, a woman killed in a road rage accident is wrong. Therefore, a mum or dad... Uh, smashed to smithereens on their bike in London, which leaves their children missing a mother or missing a father, is wrong. Therefore, Joe Cox being taken when she was taken last week is wrong. This isn't God's timing. It's not God's intervention. It's not God's will. It has nothing whatsoever to do with him. It's against everything he is and he asks us to work for. The plain truth is, and I'm sorry to everybody who's part of the Being Human course for me saying this again because I dealt with this. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday together. The plain truth is, I do not believe that God is in control of everything. I do not believe that God is sovereign in the sense that we have suggested he's sovereign. I do not believe, and nor do I believe the Bible teaches, or I would believe, that God is all-powerful. Instead, I believe this. God is doing his best. God is trying his best. And I believe that the revelation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the books that are bundled into this library we call the Bible, tell us simply that thing. God is doing his best. But there's a huge battle on. And it's the battle between justice and injustice, inclusion and exclusion. It's the battle between compassion and other-centered living and self-centered living. And it's the battle that's raged through history. And it's the battle that's told, talked to us first about in that wonderful parable, that story, 
that folk tale which is the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, by the way, weren't the first man and the first woman. Genesis 1 tells us that God made male and female. He made us all in his image. That's the beginning book of creation. And then there's this parable about a particular man and a particular woman. And it's the story of how they blame one another and live self-centeredly. That's what it's really about. And there goes another one of my grandsons. He's fed up already. (laughs) So um, that's what Genesis chapter 2 is really about. How we destroy one another when we act selfishly and we blame one another. But this is an imposter. This is an imposter. When God creates us, he says this. You are very good. It is good. It is very good. The Bible starts with original goodness. In chapter two uh, two and three, we get the story of how sin creeps in, how God's goodness uh, and his plans become distorted by our self-centered living. Jesus prays a prayer. He only ever gives us one prayer. Jesus is not an Anglican. If Jesus had been an Anglican, he'd have given us a whole book of prayers, one for every day of the week and one for every uh, week of the year. But Jesus only leaves his followers with one prayer. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer. It begins in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. And give us, while this is all happening, give us our daily bread. And forgive us the mistakes we make, the sins we do. Yours is the glory. Notice how in Jesus' prayer, and he says, always pray like this. Not always using these words, but always pray in this way. What Jesus begins with is not forgiveness. It's not, Lord, I realize the essence of our relationship is around forgiveness. Thank you for giving me. We, allow me to come to your table. Thank you for forgiveness. We've made the central point forgiveness. The prayer Jesus prayed was about partnership. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We honor you. Your kingdom come. It's obvious your kingdom isn't here yet. It's obvious things don't always happen the way you want them to happen. There's pain all around. When Jesus utters the prayer, he's standing on streets with armed Roman guards. Israel has been crushed. Its freedom has been removed. It's a nation in exile, though it's, that it's, though it's possessing its own territory. These people have been put down by a dictator and the dictator is called the Roman army, the emperor. They know evil is everywhere. Our father says, Jesus, your kingdom come, change this way of being and we're joining in with you. Real prayer is partnership, but our world is a broken place. Flick read to us that reading from Ephesians. It's from Ephesians chapter 6, the last chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. When he writes it, he's under house arrest. You have to check that out on Google or whatever you do, but trust me. When he writes it, he's under house arrest. And under house arrest, he set right pens these words he wants to go to Rome he wants to preach the gospel but the Roman Empire the emperor has stopped him in his tracks and now he's arrested and he looks at his front door and there are guards standing there stopping him from what he wants to do he lives in a broken world that's full of pain and full of tragedy and he's been persecuted he's had a tough hard time bringing Jesus to people 
and he, and he writes this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not actually wrestling against those guys stood at my front door. I'm, I feel like I'm angry with them. I want to go and punch their lights out. I want to blame them for what's happening. But I know I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood. They're simply paid to stand there. It's their job. They're like every civil servant who just pushes you the paper that they're told to push at you. They're doing their job. No, our fight is against principalities and the powers, against the policies of the Roman Empire, against what's broken down, against inhumanity, against exclusion, against privilege, against class, against hierarchy that leaves the poor on the ground and forgotten. That's my fight. I do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but I wrestle against principalities and powers. He's talking about powers here. And then he says, and also against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. He understands that all of this is a spiritual battle because actually most people serving those systems don't believe in those systems anyway. But it just turns out to be that way. Our public life doesn't turn out the way we want it to be. It turns out different. So we're in a battle. Now Paul writes this after Jesus has died and risen from the dead. Jesus is risen. Paul knows there's going to be an end to this battle, but he's, we're still intensely engaged in the battle of good and evil. So when we pray, says Jesus, pray, our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, and, and give us what we need to get that done, our daily bread, and forgive us the mistakes we make, but we are in a battle together. And the Bible ends, Roman, uh, it doesn't end with Romans, the Bible ends with Revelation chapter 21, when God says, and finally, and finally, there will be no more pain, and there'll be no more suffering, and I, says God, am coming, and a new age is coming, a new heaven and a new earth, and when the new heaven and the new earth comes, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more depression, I will be their God, and you will be my people. There will be new newness. So Elf dies this week. But we believe, I believe, that Elf's life has been lived well and sown as a seed. And in the resurrection, in the new life, in the new world, in the new Jerusalem, on the new earth, Elf will have life through Jesus when all death and all suffering and all pain will finally be ended. And I'm really only talking so that you can hear there's a klaxon. There it is. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to put on a little bit of music and I'd like you to ask questions. I get two minutes to ask any question. You've got some paper in your news sheet. You'll have to borrow someone's pen next to you if you've not got a pen. But there are some pens down there if you want to grab, um, uh, grab one. So we're going to put on some music. Two or three minutes to discuss, debate, or just write a question and we go from there. So, um, so it, may be, uh, it may be that you've got a, a question that you still want to hand in. So come and give that to, um, uh, to, to Flick as, as we head through. Uh, we're going to do this on a two-minute basis, and, and, and Caroline's going to uh, do, do, uh, run a klaxon. Um, I've not really had a chance to uh, think about these in any logical order, so um, um, here comes a one that's a really good one, just arrived. Was it God's choice not to be all-powerful? Is he just a creator who watches? Uh, the, reality, the, the truth of that is 
that we need to wrestle with the Bible and we rest, need to wrestle in community, I believe, around that whole thing. There's lots of questions around that uh, idea. Uh, what does God is doing his best really mean? I think that as we look in the world around us, we see that God is at work and he is intervening. I've known that in my own life. I've known it in miracles to happen in my own life. When Daniel, my son, was a, uh, was a little kid, uh, he was in Great Ormond Street and uh, we were told to, he had a shadow on his lungs and we were told to prepare for the worst. Um, uh, they didn't expect that um, he would live, I think that's what they were saying to us. And uh, we prayed, Cornelia and I and our friends, and we prayed and prayed and Daniel was in hospital and he went back to Great Ormond Street and this shadow on his lungs lifted, it went. Uh, as I talked to the surgeon, uh, uh, the uh, consultant about that, no one could give any, any explanation in the end as to what the shadow was or where it went and how it disappeared. But the truth is I've prayed for many people who've lost their lives. I've got a friend, his name's Ray. I prayed for him. On Monday, I talked to his wife. He's dying. He's my age. He's my friend. He's dying. I've prayed and prayed for Ray, but he has a couple of weeks or perhaps a little bit longer to live. If God has the power to change all this, but chooses not to, I don't want to worship him. I don't see why I should spend my life worshipping and following somebody who has the power to intervene but chooses not to. If I could stop the... the that's two minutes. All right. Well, uh, there's another one like it. <laughs> um, all right, okay. Um, all right, there's loads like it. Right. If we believe in miracles, why does God choose to act in some situations to prevent evil and death and not in others? There's a two-minute timer there as well. Oh, is that for starting? Oh, great. Fantastic. There you go. All right. So... The thing is, if I know that someone is going to be raped or attacked, if I knew that those killings were going to happen in that club in Orlando, if I knew about it, if I had prior knowledge of it, if I'd received a text message or a phone call, if the phone call had just come 15 minutes or 10 minutes or 5 minutes before I knew that this was going to happen and I did not do everything I could by phoning everybody I possibly know and texting and twitting, tweeting to the whole world, get out of that place, what good am I as a human being? But I am simply made in God's image. I'm a reflection of God. Every human being is made in God's image. The fact that we're made in God's image doesn't mean that if you look at God you're, in his physicality, he looks like me. He is spirit. It simply means whatever being made in God's image does mean, and there's lots written about it, and there's a lot of depth to it. One of the things it means is that we are the fusion of the physical and the spiritual. We are spirit. And that spirit is in God's image. It's an echo, a reflection of everything that God is. 
If God does not intervene, if he can intervene, and he just says, I'll let this one go, what kind of God is he? When he listens to the prayers of all his people and he listens to mothers today crying out for their child who's dying of cancer, crying out for the, 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 the it shouldn't happen that way, should it? No mother should watch their child die. No mother should ever bury their child. That's not right. That's not right. What's good about that in any sense at all? What's good about it in the sense that people say, oh, it was his time, it was her time. Oh, God chose to take, God needed her more. No, he didn't. It's like a load of baloney, isn't it? And it's insulting, I believe, to anyone with a brain for us to think about that. Boom. So, another one. <laughs> okay. Um, what words of comfort can we give to our brothers and sisters who grieve but do not have a faith? I think the first thing we can do is we can think through our faith in a realistic way. I say again, I say again. I say again, I don't want to worship a God who stands by. If God knew that Joe Cox was going to be gunned down in that street and did nothing to prevent it, if God could have prevented it and chose not to, why worship him? If God listens to the prayers of the whole of humanity and he goes, uh, yes, no, 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 definitely no to you. Maybe, yes. What kind of God is God? Instead, Jesus, who is the representation of all that God is, says, we're in a battle. We're in a battle. We're in a fight. It's a war. Why does that war exist? I guess, my guess, bigger subject than we can deal with here, and I can deal with in one minute and eight, seven seconds, is... I guess that God has built into the universe moral freedom, moral choice. In actual fact, we need that at this. Um, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day today. And on Father's Day, maybe some of you dads are hoping to get or have got already a card or a present. Hope something. Oh, yeah, there's a dad there. Definitely been reassured he's okay. <laughs> no, he's not. You forgot. <laughs> Oh, oh, 35 seconds. But the truth is, what good is the gift ever if the gift is enforced? If there is no free will, when you give some flowers, when you send a card, when you leave a text, there is no freedom in that. So when somebody thanks you, when someone gives something to you, what's the point in them doing it? They were just programmed to do it. There's no moral freedom in the universe. The very fact that the gift is given and it's a free will gift is what gives the gift its value in the first place. God has built free will into our universe and he's made us his partners to work with him and he says pray that good will come. <laughs> right. uh, one, one last one should we do? What's this? I can read it. How, <laughs> All right. How do we explain, oh what's that say? All right. Oh, it's God. How do we explain God being a creator of everything and yet not all powerful? Ah, 
There's a good question. That's a really good question. You see, we've misunderstood the term sovereignty, the sovereignty of God and God's power. In the Old Testament where these terms are used, they're used because most of the Old Testament or much of the Old Testament was written in the Bronze Age. It was written at a time when people believed that they had to appease gods and keep gods uh, hang, uh, keep God's on side. So they were polytheistic, as you know. So they worshipped the God of the river and the God of the trees and the God of the sun and the God of the rain and etc., etc., the God of the field. And if you prayed to them all and you kept appeasing them all and you offered offerings to them all, any of you have ever had a chance to go to Rome, you can walk down and you can see all the temples to all the gods that had to be kept on side to keep life together. That's the way you did it. But then comes this great breakthrough, which takes thousands of years for people to really get, because people are slow, we're slow. But Yahweh, the God of the whole earth, says to Abraham, says, come with me and I'll show you I am the one God and I'm here to bless everyone. Work with me and bring that blessing to everyone. There is only one God, not many gods. So what happens is uh, God reveals himself to Abraham as the creator of everything. And then Israel slowly adopts this God, the one God. And they keep saying, our God is powerful. Why do they say our God is powerful? Why do they say our God is all powerful? Because they're trying to say our God's bigger than your God. Our God's better than your God. Because they live in an age where serving the biggest God is important. And sometimes the Israelites don't think that Yahweh is the biggest God. And if you know your Old Testament well, you'll know that sometimes they wander away and choose another God. Why do they choose the other God? Because they think that God is more powerful. So why does Psalm say our God is sovereign, our God is all powerful? No. Not in the forensic sense that we mean it today. They mean our God is better and we trust him and we commit our lives to him. But they know there's a load of pain. And they know there's a load of agony in history. And I've talked on for five seconds too long. That's what it means to say God is all powerful. Thanks, Steve. Um, And uh, if you want to catch that again or listen to last week's, um, then you can go onto our website and listen on, the, um, on there to our sermons. Um, we're actually looking for a new volunteer who might be able to upload our sermons onto websites. So if that's you, do come and speak to me afterwards. Um, thank you, Steve, for that.